and I, this is a uh, this is a pivotal point for me personally. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm just expecting and believing that maybe it's a pivotal point for some of y'all. Amen. 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 And any other man that comes tomorrow and possibly Sunday or what have you for our sessions tomorrow, um, we'll have uh, Steve Porter. And wow, I got loud. Steve Porter uh, from Anchors Church, uh, Fuel Men's Ministry tomorrow uh, morning, and then Jeff Thomas from the Fire Builders uh, at the Life of Faith in Irondale tomorrow uh, at 11. And everything is going to be really good. Um, before I get started, I want you to, if you're on your phones or your Bibles, I'm old school, I go actual Bible. <laughs> so, um, can, you, can you cut that off, that echo? What am I doing here? Okay. I just, I'm just going to give you a couple of scriptures and I want you to find them and just kind of hold on to them. Galatians 5.16 and then Romans 5.17 and I'll repeat those if I need to. Galatians 5.16 and Romans 5.17 Gentlemen, I guess I really didn't have a title for, for my message tonight, what I'm going to talk to you all about. And except for one thing that kind of kept coming to me, and I kind of thought it didn't fit, but then the more I thought about it, the more I realized it really does fit. And, and the, this title is going, is really encompasses this entire message. That's what this message is going to be about, what, you're, what I'm about to talk to you about, what I'm about to tell you. And that's going to be what I got on my shirt right here. Yeah. Never quit. And you'll understand that here in just a minute. Because I'm going to talk to you about something that used to, I would not have dared touch with a 10-foot pole Come on. back in the day. Come on. A subject that I know that most men, when it's mentioned, you cringe on the inside. Because I did. Because I didn't want to hear it. Not... Not so much I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to feel what it was going to do to me. And that subject is pornography. Come on. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk about it because I knew I struggled with it. I knew it was in my life. The only time I really would ever talk about it was one-on-one or in a small group. Just mention it here there. I never got extensive into it about what, what it was with me. Where I was. My struggle with it. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you my story. Tonight. And it's a funny thing because. And like I said this is a pivotal point for me. A milestone I believe. Because when we. We started putting together this men's ministry. Not this men's ministry. The the men's conference. Right off hand I knew what I was going to be talking about. And I had no qualms. I had no hesitation. No fear. About what I knew I was going to talk about. I kind of joked with Brad a little bit. I said, well, I know what I'm going to talk about. And I'm going to pray to God that he changes it. <laughs> you know, I, said, I was joking. I was joking. But I really had no, no hesitation whatsoever in thought. 
to talk about this as I would have, gosh, maybe six months ago, seven months ago, eight months ago. So my story is, and I want to I throw this out there for you for something for all men to remember. That when a minister starts talking and he starts talking about and giving you an example of maybe his story or whatever, you're going to realize that your story is probably going to look similar, but it's not going to be exact. So you're probably going to hear elements of you if, if you've dealt with pornography in your life or if you know somebody that has. You're going to hear elements of you in there. But my story is not going to be exact. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I know dang good and well that's a point that the enemy will try to steal with you. He will try to take some in and say, well, your story is not just like his, so it doesn't apply to you. It doesn't match up with you, so it doesn't apply to you, or, or you're not like him. And that's what the enemy will try to do, because he wants to keep you in it. Yeah, come on. He wants to keep you bound up in it. So I wanted to tell you that when I begin to tell you my story. So, like most men, I was exposed to pornography at a very young age. And it wasn't through normal, what you would think of as normal, pornographic avenues. Now, I'm, I'm 50 years old. I was born in 1972. So back then, we did not have the internet. And if you were sheltered as I was, you did not have access to the local uh, service station that would carry such materials. Yeah. My exposure came through my mother's women's magazines that she would bring home. Uh, Self magazine, Cosmopolitan magazine, okay. other kind of magazines. That, you know, back then when, when there was magazines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where my exposure came from. Because back then in the, in the 70s and the 80s, it, they would show full-blown nudity in, in magazines, in ads for stuff. You know. But I was young. And it didn't really, I didn't know that it was even going to do anything to me. So that's where my exposure came from. When, I, when things started, you know, uh, my innocence was being tried. But gentlemen, pornography at that time was not the root. And it still wasn't the root of me. Because what the enemy does, he will take something else and cause it to be a root and then take something else and attach it to it for it to be a fruit. You see how that works? Have you ever have you ever tried to see or have you ever seen where somebody took like tried to do crossbreeding and fruit and things? You may take a tomato and a watermelon and try to cross crossbreed a tomato and watermelon and you get some kind of something or other that's just not right. It's not natural. That's what the enemy does. He takes something in your life and creates a root with it, then tries to attach something that, that you would think has absolutely nothing to do with it and engraft it in there, and then that becomes the fruit. That becomes that unnatural fruit. That fruit that's not supposed to be. So, the root that became in me you see, as I was, you know, just me, I was the uh, youngest of three. Actually, I was not planned. My parents actually thought I was the flute. <laughs> when I was thinking about it. Uh, no comments. 
So by the time my parents had me, they were kind of up in years. And so, you know, running after a little boy was not on their agenda. So I was kind of suppressed. And my dad, God rest his soul, my dad, back then they, you know, how can I say this? Back then, in our world, there wasn't, there, you know, there wasn't the access or the influence or, or, or the word of mouth or anything that you would hear like, like we've got today. Like we've had in our influence. I mean, how many of us have, have, have picked up a book like, like Maximize Manhood in the, in the Ed Cole Creek? Picked up that book or another book that has spoke to us and said to us, said, where was this when I was younger? Yeah, come on. You know? Well, not that it probably wasn't there. We just didn't have access to it. You know? And two, I, I, as many times as we've posed that question, I had to I have to sit there and think of, well, if I'd have saw it when I was younger, I probably wouldn't have read it. You're right. Come on. Just young, dumb, and stupid. Yeah. But being the baby, being the youngest and everything, I was, I was kind of suppressed with things. And, and so I, I developed a tender heart. So things would hurt me easily. So then... And, and the enemy began to, and I, I don't know if I want to say if he wants to, if he orchestrated it or he just used situations of rejection and abandonment in my life. And I've God has, has, has took me back, and I've seen over my life those times of rejection, mostly by women, and times of abandonment. There was one time, and I'm gonna tell you something too: being abandoned doesn't mean always mean physically abandoned you can be emotionally abandoned that's right that's right there was uh the one clear time that uh, the lord showed me was i don't remember how old i was uh but i had went with my dad we'd went to uh, some uh, relatives house and they had i had a cousin he was mean didn't lie because <laughs> he was always mean and i had on a pair of pants i I want, this was the 70s, don't laugh. I think these were paisley pants or, or plaid pants or something other like that. So when we left to go over there, my mother told me not to get my pants dirty. So again, I, I don't remember how old I was. So we went over there, and so my cousins playing around their things, and my dad told me, he said, don't go across the road. So my cousins being nice, he's not being mean, he's talking, playing and everything like that, said, hey, let's go over here across the road. Without hesitation, because my cousin, who's always mean, was being nice, I went across the road. So we get over there, and there's this neighbor girl over there, and she was as mean as he was. And they had dug this big old hole in the ground. And we're standing there, and it's, it's got mud in the bottom of it. And, you know, me, little kid, I can jump over that hole. But she says, no, you can't. I'm like, the hole was about as big around this table, honestly. I said, yeah, I can so what I did, I jumped over the hole. And what they did, spun me around and shoved me right back in the hole. Into the mud in the bottom of it. Got mud on my pants. And my mother told me not to get dirty. So there I am crying. And there they are laughing at me. So I don't remember how I got out of the hole. I don't remember how deep the hole was or how I got out of it. But I got out crying. Went back across the road over there to my dad. And I was just knew Daddy was going to light into my cousin or his parents were going to light into him, you know, everything like that. But that's not what happened. Now, rightfully, rightfully, my dad got on to me because he had told me not to go across the road. 
because he had told me not to go. And I did. So my dad was not wrong. But in that moment, I was expecting my cousin to get in trouble for what they did. And that didn't happen. And that hurt. That left a wound on me, on the inside of me. Now, being just a young kid and everything, not understanding these kind of things, you know, yet and all that. You know, that, that was a moment, a moment I felt abandoned by my father. He did right. He, he honestly didn't abandon me. But my, however old I was, self, that's the way I, I took it. And that wound was created. Then other wounds of rejection, you know, being picked on or being made fun of in school, you know, and all that kind of, those things became a root on the inside of me. Well, then with a little more ease of access to pornography, and I'm going to tell you something too, gentlemen. Just a little break right here and tell you something. If we're going to talk about pornography, and we're going to, to battle this thing that is really a pariah on men, let's call it what it is. Now I know there are some, and what I mean is, let's fully call it pornography. Because I know there are some situations where say we're short and saying porn is, is, is acceptable. And you may hear me say it here tonight and everything. But I guarantee you, when we start calling it pornography, let me ask you something. When I say porn, what do you, how do you feel? And when I say pornography, how do you feel? See, when you say porn, it's kind of like the world, you know, the acceptance of the world that's coming on my way. Not a big deal. But when you use the full word pornography, that's labeling as what it is. See, that's putting the weight on it. See, so I want to tell you that. So now, getting older and more ease of access of pornography coming into my life, getting in high school and everything, and we traded porn mags between the guys. Come on. You know, get a little bit older, you know. And my friend gets a computer. All right? So I wanted a computer. So time went by. I finally got a computer. His. I bought his from him. And with the invention of the Internet, guess what old Kevin had to go looking for? Porn. Pornography. And over time, it became a comfort to me. Over time, it's that fruit started blossoming. Because, unlike some girls and women, pornography didn't reject me. The women, the images I looked at didn't reject me. That fantasy never rejected me. At all. Yeah. When, when I was stressed out or something like that, Guess what helped with a good dose of, you know, feel better? Pornography. It was always there. Always waiting. And I talked with, in, I talked with Brad. You know, I had been said that I was addicted. And I'd always wondered because, you know, I had gotten involved in a ministry in the early 90s. So the fire of ministry was in me at that time. 
And so ministry was out here to me. Porn was back here somewhere. It was still there. But it wasn't there as heavy as ministry was. Until the time when that ministry shut down and I went somewhere else and I was not as involved. And then a shift began to take place. And unfortunately, this was right about the time I was fixing to get married. And I would not have ever said up until that point, never thought about addiction. Never would have thought I was addicted. And until the time came of my, when I got married, and I'm just going to roll this, guys. I don't know what I'm trying to say. Until the time I came when I got married, my ex-wife knew, ex-wife at the time, she knew about it. She was the kind that would, when we were quote-unquote dating, which if you could call it that, I would come home from work and find her at my house sitting on my computer. Well, what did she find when she was at my house sitting on my computer? <laughs> she found my nice, neat files that I would say. Well, I would say. So, so she knew about it before we got married. And, you know, so, but still I didn't think nothing, you know, didn't think it was a problem, didn't think I had a problem. And at the time, you know, I know a lot of us old guys can remember VHS tapes. I had some VHS tapes, and I had them in a box when we got married. And I had duct tape around, <laughs> around it in the box. She knew about the box. So we got married, bought our first house. You know where that box was sat? It sat out, outside on the carport. That's where it sat. I never opened it, never looked at it, you know, never got them out and everything. We were married, you know, everything. I had a computer by that time. So I really didn't, it didn't matter to me. So then finally the day came of, okay, so I'm, I'm getting rid of the box. And I take it off toward the edge of the woods and set it on fire. And I hear her hooping and hollering inside, you know, because <laughs> I'd set my box of porn off. <laughs> Old fire. Yeah. But I still had a computer. You know. And then I don't remember exactly what happened. Or the day if we'd gotten into an argument or what had happened. But it was a day that just, and the only thing I can say, it was just kind of a, a God thing that I did this. Because I kind of look back and it really, you know, I don't know. But we'd gotten into an argument or something and... So I went to a, a friend that we was in ministry with, that we were serving in ministry with. Told him about it and everything. And so that was my first case of getting with somebody that was going to be an accountability partner, partner and, and walk me through getting free from pornography. It was at that time, and that was a pivotal time because it was at that time that the fog that I was in started to come off my brain. Because see, at this time, I fantasized all the time. Driving to and from work, I had some kind of a fantasy going on. You know, almost all the time. At this time, I, had, I was making comments to young ladies I shouldn't have been making. You know? So when he started talking to me and we started going through this, talking about things, and, 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 and he had never dealt with anybody that had, had any kind of a you know, uh, uh, an issue with pornography or anything like that. So basically he kind of didn't know what he was doing. <laughs> this was new. So his suggestion was, man, you got to starve that thing out. 
You got to cut that thing off, man. You got to go cold turkey and everything. For me, bad advice. (laughs) But it was I was new. I didn't know. But the point of it was at that time is when the fog started coming off of my mind, and I started realizing, oh crap, I do this all the time. Oh crap, I've said this to this young lady, and I've said that, and and I had to go eat some crow and make some apologies. For saying some inappropriate things to some young ladies, you know that I would pass. I would say, and then I'll be real with you, that I would pass off as a joke, you know, and, and not that I would think that anything was ever going to happen, because honestly, knew it wouldn't. But the thought and the fantasy was there, you know. Let's, let's, just, get, let's just get real deep down dirty. Come on, okay. Not. Did I ever really, honestly, be honest, did I ever thought anything was ever going to happen? But the thought and the hope that it might was there. The, the want of that woman or that young girl to give me some kind of a response was there. Because you have to remember now, rejection in my life from other women. The want of another woman to say something, yeah. you know, other than my wife. You know, and my wife and I, my ex-wife and I, unfortunately, we were a cocktail of dynamite waiting to blow up anyway. You know, because she had issues. I, the way I said it is, is I had issues and she had issues. I was working on my issues. She didn't want to admit she had issues. Then all of a sudden, her issues didn't want to live with my issues anymore. <laughs> you know, if y'all, if y'all follow that. Yeah. You know. So the fog began to lift. And that, I believe that was really the beginning of my journey. Because I will tell you something, gentlemen, and, and, and all of us in here, I don't know if any of you in here struggle with it or deal with it, but you can take this and talk to somebody that does. Something that I found out that was free is that there is no magic pill. Well, there is no magic pill that is going to set a man free from pornography like that. Now, if a man, now you hear stories of men going up and getting prayed for and saying it was done in their life, great. I cannot answer that. I cannot. That's between them and God. But I'm telling you, for me and for most men that I know, there is no magic pill. But there is an anointed process. Come on. Come on, Cameron. And that anointed process is where I started. I just didn't know it yet. Is where I started all those years ago. And then. Not long uh, at the church I was going to then at the time, which was then World Outreach Center, uh, is now Anchors. Uh, the man, you'll, if you come tomorrow morning, you'll hear Steve Porter. Uh, he's, a, he's a spiritual father to me, a mentor, a friend, a brother. Came to, uh, came to church and started the men's ministry. And started it with uh, uh, the uh, majoring in men curriculum, Christian Men's Network, uh, Ed Cole. And that began another step in my journey. And I encourage everybody to get that first book, Maximize Manhood. When I first read that book, I never felt like less of a man in my life. Come on. Come but on. never more encouraged to be a man. I was learning things. I started learning things that I was deprived of as a child. That my father didn't know how to give me. You know, that's no shame on my father. He just didn't know. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have what I, what I have now. 
He didn't have what I'm giving to you right now. He didn't have this understanding that all of us sitting in here have heard and learned now. He didn't have that. My father gave me a good do what you got to do ethic. A good take care of your family ethic. A, a strong sense of justice is in me because of him. That's what my natural father gave to me. But the other thing about growing about being a real man, growing up and being what a, what, what a God, real godly man is, he, he couldn't because he didn't have it himself. You know, like I said, there's no mark on him. It's just the way it was. But Steve brought that, and then I, I began on that journey. And I was still struggling. You know, hiding it, trying to hide it. But she was sneaky. <laughs> And you know, a lot of times when a man goes through things, we have to have what I call oh crap moments. Yeah. Sometimes I use another term, but for the sake of the recording <laughs> and the young ones in here, we have oh crap moments. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. You know. And so my first oh crap moment was when we put a, uh, we decided we was going to put a program on my computer. And long story short, got to a point, thought the program wasn't working. Temptation got heavy. And I started looking at stuff. But we'd made her the admin. And I, you know, that might be good for some men in their lives, but for me it was a bad mistake to make a, a wife with her issues the admin of a, of a program that was going to tell her that I was looking at other women. So, long story short, on that end, me and a, my brother-in-law had went to a concert in Atlanta, and I came home to find my wife and kids gone. Now, God in His graciousness, I knew on inside me where they were. I just didn't know. I mean, I just, I He was. I knew you had a good idea where they were. I believe God was telling me where they were. But still, I just didn't have that me knowledge of where they were. And she had left a printout of everything I looked at and a note on the table telling me she wanted a divorce. And I died. I wanted God to kill me so bad, I laid in the floor and begged Him to kill me because I did not want to face this. And as you can see, he did. Praise God. Praise God. So after about a week, and I'll try to make another long story short, after about a week, we kind of reconciled. Just coming back together and kind of reconciling. And I did not know it at the time, but she had met another man during that week we were separated. And not a few months after that, uh, about 12 days after our 11th year anniversary, she told me she wanted a divorce. So I gave her the divorce. And I had to tuck tail and move back home with my parents. And I'll tell you something. One of the hardest things is leaving my kids. They were just five and seven, I believe, at the time. My girls, Ariel and Bella. 
and coming home from work to a house that's not yours, back to your parents. Let me tell you, let me, let me tell you something. The day that I felt like a man, one day that I felt like a man, the day I, one day I felt like an adult, was after I got married and I came and we came back to my parents' house for a visit. Yeah. And the first words that come out of my dad's mouth, I could tell a difference in the way he was speaking to me. And I felt like an adult. I felt like a man. So now having to come back home to my parents' house. Walk in a house that's not my house. Walk in a house where my wife is not and my kids are not. You can understand what that does to a guy. The the just the the defeat, the failure that it puts in you. And then thankfully I had I had got over some of that after the bye. Then my father passed away in twenty sixteen and uh no, I'm sorry, I think it was twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. Somewhere in there my father had passed away and everything. And then not long after that, then my mother had to be put into a home. So now I was coming home to a house that was not mine, that absolutely nobody was in, <laughs> to an empty house. And all of my desires and aspirations and, and, and for ministry, just, yeah, exactly like that, poof. I finally saw him, I said, like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So I let it go. I let it go. I went to a couple of churches, tried to find, you know, uh, the church that we was going to in, in, uh, at World Outreach Center, the Anion and everything, I kept going back there and taking my girls because they had friends there. But it was, it, was, it was probably more me than anybody else, but it felt different. So I just, you know, quit going. And then I went to a couple other churches and everything, and it just, I don't know, just didn't gel. But in that moment of divorce, going through that divorce, and being in that men's ministry, God had actually done, pulled something on me. You know, Steve Porter, who, like I said, who you're going to hear, at one time told me these two words. Never quit. The day he told me that, I said, I thought, Steve, never quit. You're telling me to never quit in the very moment that I want to quit. And if you don't know the books, there's the other titles of other books. I thought, Steve, why didn't you put, pick a real man? <laughs> I wanted to know that I was a real man. Yeah. Steve, why didn't you pick a strong man? Because I wanted to know that I was a strong man. Steve, why didn't you pick courage? Because I wanted to know that I had courage. Okay. I was thankful he didn't pick a unique woman. <laughs> Barry. But he said, never quit. So I kept on. And then, and then when I let everything go, and, and I quit going, I, I didn't turn my back on God. You know, it wasn't one of those kind of things. I just, I just let it go. And I felt like I started finding a little piece of myself. You know, 
I felt okay. You know? I thought, all right, this is where I'm at. Whether I go to church or not or find a church or not, I'm good. You know? I can enjoy the things I enjoy. You know, read the books I enjoy. I can listen to music I enjoy. I can do the things, you know, and do what I want to do. No, no, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. Uh, judgment. No judgment, true, but, uh, or that I would have cared about. Uh, no, no one to be accountable to. That's what I'm looking for. Nobody to be accountable to. No pastor to look at me side-eyed if he didn't like what I listened to or, you know, or watched. Nothing like that. And I was happy. I was fine. I was happy. But God, yet again, (laughs) had other plans. You know, and in, in, in that men's ministry, and I always tell this, in that men's ministry, you know, for, for a few years there, I got pissed off at the guys in that men's ministry. Because I ain't heard word one from none of them. And it come along that one of the guys uh, got into a car accident and ended up dying. And I went back to the church for the funeral. And I had in mind, I was fixed to let them have it. All them brothers I went through that men's ministry with, that I got commissioned with, stood on a stage with and held up a sword with, spent week after week after week with talking and going through these books and fellowshipping with and talking with and fellowshipping with and going through these books and talking with and hearing their stories and they're hearing my stories. All these men who had not called me day one since I had been divorced and had to move back home, I was fixing to give them a load of it. Come on. Till I walked in and we started talking like nothing had ever happened. Like no time had ever passed. Like we were picking up right where we had left off. That's when brotherhood hit me. That's when I thought it didn't matter if we hadn't talked. Did I need them to call? Yeah. But at that moment it didn't matter anymore. Because I knew, I knew what had been created right then. So, I'm still going along. And God starts leading me to a church that ministry was birthed in me. And it was church down the road. It's now called Church International. Then it was called Youth Force when I went to it. Youth Force Church International. You force ministries, church international, however you want to say it. Tom, I was one of the original members. Did you know that? Yeah. When when Youth Force got started, I've got a dog tag at home that's got Kevin etched in it and Youth Force etched in it on the other side. It was a youth group at a church. That church had shut down, and then that's when I started going to the church in Aniana. And... There was good things and bad things. And God started drawing me back there for some reason. And I said, I don't know about that. (laughs) You know? I said, all right. I can walk in the church just as easy as I walk out on it. Walk out out the church just as easy as I walked in it. 
And the, the pastor of the church, when I first met him, he was a youth pastor. At the time, this was way back in the day. If y'all remember Carmen's God's Got an Army. He would have the youth march into the, to the sanctuary to God's Got an Army. So the day I decided, all right, I'm going. I'll go. You know, I went. And I walked up to the door, and I had no idea. No idea. It was Youth Sunday. I had no clue. And I stepped in the door to the end of the line of all the youth of that church. And I, and I just thought, I knew. I knew what God had done right then. And I just stood there. And sure enough, Carmen's God's got an army fired up. And I just, I just stood there shaking my head. It was Youth Sunday. I didn't know it. And they all marched in. We used to do dramas to Carmen songs when I was young. They did dramas. And I'm sitting there, and all those old, oh, that old memory starts flooding back. That fire starts rekindling again. Starts burning again. I start remembering who I am. Where I come from. What was put in me. God had done a number on me. And the pastor at the time, he looked at me. <laughs> he said, God needs you here, Kevin. God needs you here. And I just thought in my mind, I said, does God need me here or do you need me here for some reason? You know, so I'm just being, being real. You know, you know because I'm, at the moment I'm sitting there, I'm actually trying to listen for God to tell me why he wants me there. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, we'll see. Because there was only one thing I could think of that God would need me there for. And that would be to do a men's ministry. What I had come out of, what I had committed to being a minister to men. Which is the reason for this. That was the only reason, but I, I knew. I knew if I tried it, it wouldn't happen. At least not the way it was supposed to. I told you earlier. Your why I was there. God did a number on me that day. And so all this time, I'm still struggling with it. You know, it's still in my life. You know. And I get to a point, and God says something very weird to me. He said, Kevin, the only person that can stop you from using porn is you. I said, what? The reason that was so weird is because whenever you talk about pornography or read about pornography or hear about it, it's always talking about having an accountability partner. Someone to be accountable to. And that is very true. Just hear me out here just a minute. So when God said that, I sit there and I thought, what? The only person that can can stop me from using porn is me. And so I had to just chew on that for a while. To understand what God meant. And then, over the years, I couldn't name every little thing, but it's like I would get a little piece of the puzzle about me. And about 
getting free from porn. A little piece of this. Even though I was still struggling with it over these years, there were still little pieces of the puzzle coming. Remember I said it's not a magic pill. It's an anointed process. I was going through a process that I had no idea I was going through. So then, fast forward now to last year. I have, at this point, I've lost two jobs because of it. Lost my marriage, my kids because of it. So now last year, November, the day before Thanksgiving, I was working. And I had my last, what I'm calling my last oh crap moment. And I'm telling you these oh crap moments, telling you this, so there again, if it's in your life, you can recognize it. You can see it. Or if it's in somebody else's life that you know of, you can help them. Okay? Because I tell you what, sometimes I get up here and feel like I'm preaching to the choir. Because all you men are church men. But <laughs> that, sometimes that don't really matter, does it? That's right. That's right. Come on, Come on. I came in from work. I was tired. I was stressed out. You know, being a single man, you know, that plays a lot into some things. You know. And I did one of the stupidest, dumb A things I could have ever done. I sat down at my kitchen table with my computer. And while my 15-year-old daughter is making deviled eggs for Thanksgiving the next day, I start looking at porn on my computer at the kitchen table. Go ahead, in your mind, call me a dumbass. Just go ahead. Because that's what I was. Because I sat there and thought I could click out of something fast enough. And she walks over one time and I click out of it and I notice her eyes went to the screen. And on the inside of me, very loudly, I said, Kevin, shut the thing down and walk away. Shut it down and walk away. And I didn't do it. Until she walks over there again and I can't get it shut down fast enough. And my 15-year-old daughter sees her dad looking at porn. And she gets upset and calls her mother, who divorced her dad for looking at porn. (laughs) How well do you think that went over? (laughs) Not well at all. Right now I'm having to to trust God that my relationship with my daughter is going to be restored. Because we had a moment, but since November, she has not spoke to me or come to my house. She got into a fight, I think, back in February with her mother. And out of the blue, called me, want me to come get her. And everything. And I thought, okay, this is, this is a good thing. Because up until then, she hadn't spoke to me. So she started responding. And then I guess I made her mad again with something that I, and everything. And then she quit talking to me again. So to this day, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting and believing God for, to restore my relationship with my, my daughter. Now, my oldest daughter, she knows. I, I, was, I was honest with her, brutally honest. I mean, she knew her, her sister told her, but I said, I told her, I said, this is what happened. And she goes, and she forgave me. And she talks to me, she comes to the house. I mean, she was with me today. You know, she'd been with me since Wednesday. Everything. So I'm good with my oldest daughter. But the youngest daughter's a little more like her mother. <laughs> you know, and I hate saying that. 
So y'all help me. Y'all pray for me in that area. That my relationship with her will be restored. But that was my last oh crap moment that I intend to have. Because it was then, which is getting to the crux of what I really wanted to do about being free from pornography. See, all that time I never quit. I never, I never stopped. I never stopped going to church. Well, I mean, other than the period of time. You know, I never stopped believing in God. I never stopped really going to church. I hooked up with Brad. You know, thank God for Brad. He's become a spiritual father and a mentor to me. You know. But one day in church, and if you want to look at it, Galatians 5, 16. This is a male that went in the coffin of pornography in my life. A big one. I guess it would be a good thing if I turned there in my Bible. <laughs> Just so I can read it to you. This I say then, walk in, I'm reading King James. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, how many times in a message about pornography have we heard that scripture used? Or a message dealing with anything that's considered a sin? Have we heard it? Heard, I have been in church all my life. Since I was born. My mother had a drug problem. She drug me to church. Come on. Every Sunday. Till the day I, t- I think I was 13. And my dad didn't, didn't go to church. And my brother and sister barely went to church. And I wanted to stay home. And finally, day to day, I think I was 13 and everything. She left me home from church. I stayed home one day. One Sunday from church. The very next Sunday I was back in church. Because now, that was my choice. And I want you to notice something I said right there. Because this is a key. It was my choice. I was not being made to go to church now. It was my choice to go to church. And I've been in church ever since. And then got involved in ministry in, in 91 maybe? 90? 90, 90, 91? Somewhere in there is when I began to get involved in ministry. So that's 30 years worth, I guess, of ministry that I've been in. Read this verse, heard this verse. And probably like everybody else kind of thought, okay, just don't sin. Just don't do things that are sinful and you'll be walking in the Spirit. That's, that's how I honestly, it, it, it eluded me. Because I knew that when you tried not to sin, it didn't work very well. <laughs> when you tried not to sin, it did not work all that great. To one day we're here in the service and I couldn't, and I don't remember, Brad, you could probably tell me, I don't remember how long ago it was, maybe last year sometime. We were sitting here and I don't, and forgive me, brother, I don't remember the message at all. Awesome. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember the message that Brad was preaching. You didn't have to say that out loud. No, I didn't have to say that out loud. <laughs> but this verse came up in that message. 
And one of our members, Kurt Wester, was sitting right over here. Ask this question. What does that look like? And when he asked that question, it was like the proverbial light bulb went off. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh? Come on. I had absolutely, in my 30-something years of ministry in church, and, and, and 50 years of, since I was come out of my mother in church, all these years of hearing that verse had never once thought, what does that look like? To walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So when he asked that question, then we had to answer the question. What does it look like to walk in the Spirit? And see, and I'd heard this before too. Those of you, I'm just going to take it for granted that you know that we're three parts. Spirit, soul, and body. That we're a spirit. We have a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. And we live in a body. So when we walk in the Spirit... Take note of that. When we walk in the Spirit, which means we do what the Spirit says, the real us, the true us, the part of us that is born again, that when we gave our hearts to Jesus, when we sit down and we accept Him as our Lord and Savior, our spirit is what got born again. Not this flesh. And not our soul. Not our, not our mind or will or emotions. And see... This is, this is the part that we have to understand. We have to get to understand. Do you know there's a difference between knowing something and understanding something? Mm-hmm. See, when, you, when I walk out of here, I'm just going to use me as an example. When I walk out of here and get in my truck, I know that when I turn that key, put that key in ignition and I turn it, that truck is supposed to turn over and crank. And I know that when I put it into gear, it's supposed to move. I know that. That's the knowledge of a vehicle that I have. I know that if I put gas in it, it will help it go. I know that if I put oil in it, it will help it not to blow up. (laughs) I know that about a vehicle. But there are men out there who have an understanding of a vehicle. They understand why when you stick that key in that ignition and you turn it and that engine turns over. They understand why when you put gasoline and it goes through the fuel system and everything hits and fires off. They understand that. They understand why when you put oil in it, why it goes through and does what it does. They understand because they're mechanics. They have spent time and they have learned. They don't just know about a vehicle. They understand a vehicle. And this is the part that we've got to get to. This is the part that I'm getting to. The understanding of the connection between who we are, our true selves, our spirit, and our souls and our flesh. Because that understanding, that connection, makes all the difference. You see, over our lives, our, our, our soul, our, which is our mind, our will and emotions, we've been trained to go one way with it. Backwards. Good. See, our, our mind, which is our intellect, where our, our brain is, our, where our thoughts are, our belief, where we hold our beliefs. And then our will, which is acting upon those beliefs. And then our emotions come along and back it up. We've gone backwards. We've been trained over these years to have an emotion about something. 
Boy, that made me feel good. Boy, I hate that. That makes me angry. I don't like that. To have an emotion about something and then we act upon that emotion. I like that. I'm going to do that again. I like looking at naked woman. I'm going to do that again. I like the way that made me feel. I'm going to do that again. We acted upon an emotion. And when we acted upon that emotion, it solidified a belief in my brain, in my mind, that this is the way it's supposed to be. Now, what confuses a lot of people is, is this. And this right here is connection in here. You see, if you were to remove your spirit and your brain, your intellect, your mind, your soul, if you were to remove that from your flesh, what would happen? It would die. It would be a pile of flesh and muscle and innards and bones laying right there, capable of doing absolutely nothing. Can it feel? No. Can it experience an emotion? No. Because it's no longer connected. But once we have put this on, for the sake of walking in this physical world, it's connected. And that's what's happened to a lot of us is we have got so used to doing what this feels. To living by what this feels. That we now think that this, or that we now allow this to dictate what we do. Can you bring this down some, man? That we now, this dictates what we do and we think it's us. When it's not us. Because if we had to get real honest and sit there and say, do I want to look at porn? Flesh part of me, yes. The spirit part of me, the God part of me, doesn't want anything to do with it. Because it's contrary to Him. Because we know that everything that God is is inside of us, in our spirits. And we don't understand that it's as easy as making a choice. That's what boggles some people's minds. We don't realize that we make choices every day. You made a choice to get in your vehicle and come here. I made a choice to get in my vehicle and come here. If there's something you don't like or you don't want, do you take it? You don't. You make a choice that you don't want it. And here's the, here's the thing, though, because we've trained our flesh that well, or our flesh has become trained that well, and, and we have that bit of confusion in our brains about is the, the, about it being really me. When we start to deny our flesh, it's going to scream out. Mm-hmm. See, our flesh is nothing but like a little child. When your child wants a piece of candy, and you know that piece of candy is not good for them, at least not at that moment. <laughs> And you tell that child no, what does that child do? Screams out. Screams and screams and screams. And, 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 and screams and hollers and pitches a fit until what? Until, until we give it and give it its way. You see, and that's for, for those of us who are walked by the understanding our freedom, 
and walking in freedom of pornography, that's where that comes into play. Come on. Come on. Because we have to retrain our soul to know who's in charge. Not our flesh, but our spirit. Go to your second verse there, Romans 5.17. It's back here. Chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Read it again. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. How often do we feel like we're reigning in this life? Not as often as we should. Not as often as we should. Sometimes we just feel dirt down defeated. Sometimes we just feel like we can't overcome things. You know, I did have a moment in time in my life when I thought I would never be over porn. I thought, well, it'll always be part of my life. I want to explain to you what this verse is talking about. It says, for if by one man's offense, that's talking about Adam. Talking about Adam's sin, when Adam sinned and brought death into the world. If by his offense, if Adam's by Adam's offense, death reigned in the earth, then much more they which receive abundance of grace. Who is they that receive abundance of grace? That'd be me. And that'd be you. Men's, weans, usins. Those that are born again, that receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. So because of what Jesus did, because of His sacrifice, because of Him taking our sin upon the cross, we have been made righteous. We have the abundance of grace and we reign in life. Let me tell you something. Walking in freedom Depends on your identity. Knowing who you are in Christ. Knowing who you are. Because if you know who you are and know who He did, then you know where you're supposed to be. Uh, I can't remember the exact scripture right now, but there's in the the Bible. uh, And I want to say it's Paul. that's talking to a church. One of the churches. And he says, you know... uh, and y'all, y'all just y'all forgive me. I'm going to paraphrase here, just to, to but it's there. I know it's there. I just can't remember where it's at. But he says, "You know what? There were there were sinners. There were idolaters. There were fornicators. There were people out here lusting and whoring and doing all this stuff. You used to be those. That's what you used to be. But you're born again. You're not that anymore. Quit acting like it. Yeah. 
You know? Before I was saved, before you were saved, before you were born again, you probably did all sorts of things. You're not that anymore. You're a new creation. You're born again. You don't act like that anymore. That's where we start walking in our freedom is knowing who we are. Yeah. Now I'm going to tell you this. I said, when I said, you know, the Lord told me, I said, Kevin, the only person that can stop you from using porn is you. I'm going to go back to this. The only person that can set you free from porn is Jesus. Amen. And He's already done it. Yes, very good. You're already free from it. I've already free from it. See, I've been free from porn ever since Jesus died on the cross. You're right. You're right. I just didn't have the understanding at the time to walk in that freedom. Or know to walk in that That's freedom. Good. Or that it was even available. That's good. Now, the only person that can stop me from using porn mm. or looking at porn is me. That's good. And I have proved it. Now, have I had moments? Yes. Has it been easy? No. I've been walking in this freedom for the last six months. Praise God. Amen. Has it been all roses? No. Have I had moments? Yes. But I've been walking in the knowledge of the freedom that I have. And it will get easier and easier. Easier and easier. Come on, Kelly. Easier and easier. And that's what I want every other man to know. Because I'm sorry. And, and I, you know, I don't mean this bad on anybody. And I'm fixed to get real, <laughs> real with you. But to say that a man will never be free, or to say that he will always deal with it, is bullshit. That's right. Come on. That's good. I have never liked being told that. I've never liked hearing something never set right with me when somebody, well, you'll always deal with the temptation. You know what? No, that's wrong. That's wrong. The temptation will always be there, but I don't have to deal with it. You're more than a conqueror. You see, when I started getting free, when I started getting free from it and everything like that, one thing that I was afraid of, those moments that I knew that were going to come of that struggle, those moments I knew when, when my physical body was going to have a need in that struggle. Come on. And for a while, that, that, that I was afraid of that. I was afraid of when that happened that I was going to give in again. Until I realized, decide what you're going to do before the struggle comes. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. At that time, I decided. Decide yeah, what you're going to do before. Gentlemen, golly. If I could just put it out of my brain into you, I know you're getting it. But if we understand again our identity, understanding who we are, and walking in who we are, you know, back in 2010, 2010, 2011. God, you know, before all of this happened, see, God saw it coming. I didn't see it coming, but He saw it coming. That's why I say He set me up. He set me up with that men's ministry. <laughs> to have those men there when, I, when, my, when she divorced me. He set me up with, with leading me back to that church to light that fire again. But back then, God started drop, dropping a message in me. And I've preached it two or three times since then. And I'm going to give you just a little bit of it. There are six areas of a man's life. Notice that six. What's the number of man? Six. Six characteristics for six areas of a man's life that he gave me that come from the Word of God. Number one is your authority. 
What are we? We are the kings and the priests of our homes. We hold the authority. Let's say a man's home is his castle. castle. You know, and Brad told you he liked me because I was epic. The Lord started showing me different swords that went with these things. And the first one he showed me was the, the sword, what I call the sword of authority, which is the King Arthur sword, Excalibur. And if you remember that, remember that movie, the, the, that old Excalibur movie. You know, uh, before Arthur was recognized as the king, he had to hold the sword. And he had to pull it from what? Stone. Stone. The rock. Jesus is our rock. rock. He's the Word made flesh. The sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. <laughs> That's good. And I'll tell you something else about that movie. So if you remember it, I'll give uh, you, you know, when uh, uh, Guinevere and Lancelot were caught in adultery. And Arthur tossed his sword away. See, a lot of times we have things happen to us in our life and we put our swords down. We let them go. We toss them away because it was so painful and so hurtful. So Camelot began to suffer in that movie. And so the knights of the round table were sent out on a quest to find the Holy Grail. <laughs> You're fixing to think I'm as loony as a bit when I'm fixing to eat. To find the Holy Grail because they believed that if he drank from the Holy Grail, everything, he would be healed. So what's the Holy Grail? The cup that Christ drank from. It's supposed to have healing powers. So this one night finds the place and he's asked this riddle. He said, what's the, what is the riddle of the grail? That the land and the king are one. That's what the answer to that riddle is. If the king suffers, the land suffers. If you suffer, your land suffers. If you suffer, your family suffers. Come on. See, a lot of times we don't make that connection. It's good. In dealing with porn, we don't think we're hurting anybody. But, we, but I've done hurt my ex-wife. I've done hurt my daughter. Yeah. I was hurting myself. Didn't know it. We have to drink from the Holy Grail. Knights, men have been on quest trying to find that Holy Grail for centuries. Gentlemen, if you've got a Bible, hold it in your hand. You're holding the Holy Grail in your hand. The Word of God that heals, that restores, that renews. When you drink from this, yep. you're restored. That's good. That's good. And you can be king once again. You have to take up your authority. And the second one he gave me was wisdom. And that was represented by what the King Solomon sword. And I don't, there's not a movie for it. But you know, King Solomon was said to be the wisest king. After reading some of the things by him, I didn't think, well, he wasn't too wise. <laughs> too wise. <laughs> but what is authority without the wisdom to use it? We have to walk in wisdom with our authority. We can't just bust up in our home and start throwing, well, I'm the man, bless God. Right. You know, 
especially if you know if you're not used to living that way. All that's going to get at you is probably a frying pan over the <laughs> head or something. The next sword he showed me was a samurai sword. That's honor. Because the samurai value honor, honor above everything else. Yeah. And what is authority and wisdom if you don't have the honor to use it? That's right. Then the next one he showed me was a Viking sword. Now you think about a Viking sword. Get that image in your mind. That's the sword of battle. That bad boy is made to hack and to stab. It's made for fighting. We have to fight for our families. We have to fight for those around us, for our relationships. Those things that God has given us, our field that He has given us to tend, to be an authority over, our family, our relationships, our work. We have to fight for those things. We have to be in battle for those things. That was battle. Huh? That was battle. That was battle. Because if we're not going to fight for it, then what good is trying to walk in honor, wisdom, and authority? If you're not going to fight for it. That's right. The next one he gave me, the fifth one, is a, is a, a, a rapier, a three musketeer sword. And that's the sword of passion. I know some men. <laughs> passion? <laughs> no. Think about the musketeers. They were passionate about their, defending their king. Yeah. They were passionate about their relationships. Now think about that sword. It's thin. It's long. It's flexible. Just like we have to be in our relationships. Yep. Flexible. Yet sturdy. Yep. And we fight with passion for those we love. And the last, the last one he gave me was the Scottish Claymore. The Braveheart sword. I love the Braveheart movie, but I cannot watch the Braveheart movie. I've seen it once, maybe bits and pieces, but other than that, I cannot watch that movie. Because I cry. <laughs> Every time. That's the sword of freedom. Because if you're not walking in your freedom, what good is your passion for your family and your king? If you're not walking in your freedom, what good is that passion and that willingness to fight? If you're not walking in your freedom, what good is that passion and that willingness to fight and the honor to do it with? If you're not walking in your freedom, what good is that passion and that willingness to fight and that honor and that wisdom going to do you? If you're not walking in your freedom, what good is that passion, that willingness to fight, that honor and that wisdom going to do with you, authority, your authority? All of those mean nothing without that one. Nothing without that one. To walk in that freedom. I'm going to tell you something right now. I envision me standing up here and, and talking to y'all about this and telling us, and it ain't when exactly. <laughs> He went it all like I thought. That Braveheart movie, you know, my favorite character is not uh, William Wallace. My favorite character is Robert the Bruce. Because he was a tormented man. From just going from the movie. He knew the right way to go. But he was listening to all these other voices. Telling him the way he should, that they thought he should go. 
He knew what his heart was telling him to the point he betrayed a friend. He knew, but he listened to all these other voices just like we do in our, our everyday lives. We know the right way to go. We know the way that God is leading us and telling us to go. But sometimes we get distracted hearing these other voices. And we end up betraying our friends. And one of the most powerful scenes to me is at the very end of the movie. And they're getting ready to surrender to the English. And they're all lined up. And Robert the Bruce is there on horseback. He's ready to lead them. And they think they're going to surrender. And all those men that Wallace fought with and bled with and died for there. And they're just looking at him. And he starts to ride out and he stops. And if you've seen the movie, you remember. He reaches down and he grabs that, cl- that handkerchief yeah. that was Wallace's wife. Yeah. The reason that Wallace started fighting in the first place for his bride. Does Jesus not fight for us, his bride? He reaches down and he grabs that. And then he turns. <laughs> and all I can say is he's got that look. You know, and he says, you bled with Wallace, now bleed with me. And then the big red-headed guy, <laughs> the big red-headed guy, <laughs> who's got the claymore, takes it off, and he throws that bad boy out there into the field. And they run after him, and they win their freedom. Gentlemen, that's exactly where we are. The men that God has created us to be is on the inside of each and every one of us. It's on the inside of each and and every man that you see on the street and that you meet. There's a man in there that God has created. Some of those men don't know he's there. Some of those men know something's there and they're afraid of it. Some of those men let a little bit of him out here and there, but they don't let him fully out. The men that God has created us to be is on the inside of us. And it's that that we have to walk in to walk in our freedom. Six months I've been walking in freedom. Knowing who I am. Again, it hasn't been all bad road. All roads haven't been smooth. But I, but I, I have, can honestly say I have walked in more freedom with this understanding than I have walked in the 30 years that I've been looking at porn. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All these pages of notes, and I didn't touch one of them. (laughs) So, gentlemen, I want to say this to you. If you struggle with it, to tell you how to begin. If you know somebody that does, I'll tell you how to begin. Number one, get saved. (laughs) Number one, give your heart to Jesus. Number two, find a good church. Number three, build your band of brothers. 
Because even though Jesus was the only one that set me free from pornography, and I'm the only one that can stop me from using pornography, I still need my brothers to be there. That's right. See, that's where it sounded weird when I said, he said, you're the only one that can stop some saying, what about accountability partner? He didn't take away an accountability partner. He just, he just put accountability partner in perspective. Because a program on your computer is not going to stop you. An accountability partner is not going to stop you. Getting divorced is not going to stop you. Making your daughter mad is not going to stop you. You're going to stop you. And it's not a magic pill. It's an anointed process. Because when you start stopping you and you start walking in that freedom and that understanding, I promise you, there's an anointing there. There's that strength, that, that in Christ strength. That in the anointed one, the anointing and the anointed one strength. Build you a band of brothers. I, I'm honored to have three of mine sitting in this room right now. Find, find you some men that you can talk to and that you can trust. I went to, I went over, over my course land. There was about two or three that didn't hang with me. That's kind of why I got to thinking, well, I, I'll always deal with this or something like that because I would get somebody and they wouldn't stay there. But then I found those that would. And it made all the difference. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I just give you all glory and honor and praise. Father, I'm just trusting and believing, Lord, that I've said everything that you needed me to say, Lord. And I praise you and I thank you.